Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Lisa Cooney, Senior Vice President, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary for Day and Zimmerman. Lisa is the first female counsel general in the company's 120-year history. She's also the chair of the Ethics and Compliance Committee, designated senior official for the company's Insider Threat Program, and a member of the Nine-Person Leadership Council. She is the executive sponsor of the company's LGBT Allies Employee Resource Group and a standing member of Executive Diversity and Inclusion Board. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Woman to Woman podcast. Hello. Good morning. So um, we're super excited to have you with us here today. How was your childhood? How was that journey all the way to high school? So I grew up in a f- uh, family with, there were three of us, one brother, one sister, middle class, New Jersey, out, uh, suburbs of Philadelphia. I would say my childhood was dysfunctional, <laughs> um, substance abuse and mental health issues in my family. As a result, though, my brother and sister and I are very, very tight knit. So that's that's a good thing. So coming to high school, did you have a plan? Did you have certain career options you were really looking forward to getting into? So what was that plan for you? This is interesting because I sit here today as a woman in my 50s and a lot of my friends have kids and they're talking about college coaches. And, you know, I talk to kids in high school and they're being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they have answers. I did not have a plan. And, you know, I'm a pretty organized, somewhat regimented person and and organized. And definitely that's a strength of mine. But if I look back in high school, I mean, I loved high school. I loved college. I've always loved learning, but I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was a person who didn't declare my major to the end of my sophomore year in college. And then I declared it as history and political science because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think I was so literal in answering the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I didn't want to commit because I overthought it, right? I I don't know. How can I make that decision at 20, at 18? I don't know. And I just kept kind of postponing and kind of stumbled into my career, to be perfectly honest. It's so much different today, I think, Um, And there's probably pros and cons for that. You know, in high school, kids are being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's a trajectory for a career path. Then there's probably pros to that. I think the con though, too, is asking young people to make decisions about what they want to be at a young age. So did you have certain profession in mind? It's interesting. I wanted, I've always had a love of animals and I, I promise I'll get to college. This is a little bit of a digression. So bear with me. I remember in my eighth grade graduation, my yearbook, they asked us to put on our, you know, our, by our picture, what we wanted to be. And again, I couldn't commit. So I said, work with animals. I couldn't even say I want to be a veterinarian because I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, and somehow I lost that in high school because science did not come easy to me. Math I did quite well at, the liberal arts I did quite well at, but the sciences didn't really, the biology, the chemistry, it didn't come intuitively to me and I wasn't a big studier. So I kind of, and I had no mentoring kind of to say, hey, stick with it if this is what you really want to do. So by the time I got to college again, I was just kind of taking classes and I went with the majors that came easy to me, which is the liberal arts, the history, the poli sci, the English, the English literature, which I also have a love for history. So by the time I was done college, I was leaning toward either going to law school or going to get my master's in public policy. And again, I didn't want to commit because it's wrong. So I took three years 
years off between college and um, law school, and I worked for the government. I worked for the Department of Human Services. And only as a result of that, I said, no, I don't think government is for me. It's a little too bureaucratic. I don't see any end results when you're talking about public policy. It's so almost abstract sometimes, and you can't kind of see the results of the good that you're doing. So then I, I went to law school at 23. Wow, that's quite a journey. <laughs> at least along the way, you kept eliminating things you didn't want to do through your experience, which again is a great strategy. Sometimes we jump into certain career options thinking that's where you want to be. Without working in that space, you don't realize you may hate it once you actually make it to that spot, right? It's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I wouldn't have known, I, you know, government I wouldn't have known had I not worked in government that that was not the path for me. And it's something about what motive it, it took understanding what motivates me to continue to do good work to make the decision and the conclusion that working in government was not for me. Because again, it's public policy and implementing grants and government programs. It's hard to see immediate kind of tang tangible results. Whereas if you're an attorney, you are giving advice and counsel to a client. So you're helping them solve a problem and um, you see those results. And if you're a litigator and I was both, again, it's a case of litigation. And so there's a beginning, a middle and an end. There's a win or a loss. So results are much more tangible. Just looking back, are there certain kind of roles or jobs that you recommend young women taking up? just because it builds certain skills that are useful along your career, no matter which industry you're in. I paid for college myself and for law school, and I did it by, I had was lucky enough to have loans, scholarships, grants, but I worked full time as a waitress and then a bartender. And I have to tell you, I always joke, I say to this day, my, my favorite job was bartending. I would say working in a customer service industry is so important. For me, waitressing and working in the restaurant industry, it was wonderful because you have to multitask under short deadlines. You know, you have a, a whole bunch of tables and customers to take care of at once. So you're learning multitasking skills. You're learning to do things on quickly. You're doing, learning how to do them with grace and you're learning about professionalism, how to be professional under stressful circumstances if it's really busy. So I think that was an excellent training ground. Now, just looking back at your own trajectory, do you think there's a certain path that's easier than what you took? And what would that be? You have to do quite well in undergrad in order to get into law school. So you need to be mindful of that. So if you're in college and you're just kind of messing around and getting C's, you've now eliminated that path. As far as what undergraduate degree you need, I don't think it matters. The law and legal arguments, um, it's based on logic. So you could be a philosophy major. You could be a math major. Math is, is just embedded with logic, right? You could be, for me, it was the study of government, which naturally led to me to want to go to, 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 go to law school and want to go to law school because you see how laws and statutes and case law affect our government and our society. So bottom line is you have to do well 
in undergraduate in terms of your grades, and then you have to do well on your your LSATs, um, which are the is the test you take. Although I don't know if they're I think they're redoing the undergraduate test. Some people aren't taking SATs anymore, so I'm not quite sure about the future of the LSATs. Looking forward now, right? So from the time you got into law school, you come out of law school. What were some of those options, and how did you decide on where to go? Through law school is three years, and then you can do a clerkship or uh, so. It can be for, you know, can be the, the extra year is training with a judge. You probably know by the time you're a second or a third year, what direction you want to take. But generally you have kind of two options, which is you go work for the government or you work in a, in a private law firm. And then within the government, obviously there could be criminals, the criminal side or the civil side. In a private law firm, which is where I went, there's multiple areas of law. Again, there could be criminal defense. There, there's everything from antitrust to labor and employment law, to litigation, to any subject that you can think of there are lawyers who are experts in that and you develop an area of expertise. I was in the law firm world for about 13 or 14 years and I was a labor and employment law. That was my area of expertise, which kind of, as I mentioned before, transitioned from my earlier experience in kind of the study of government, history, political science was a natural continuation. And then I was there for about 13 years. And then from there, I went what what we call quote in-house um, and that's usually when companies hire you to be there, a lawyer only for them. The company I'm with, and I've been there for 15 years, uh, we have about 25 people in our law department, and they all come with different areas of, of, of expertise. So if a company's big enough, they want their own lawyers to not litigate cases for them, but to help them prevent litigation right? Work on compliance, give advice and counsel as new laws come down. And that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. I've been in-house. During all of this time, clearly you have to build a network. You have to have support systems. But let's for a minute talk about the networking aspect of things. Women usually are not that great at networking. At least that that's what we hear all the time. What was your style of networking? How did you come up with strategies that worked for you? Well, I, I think I'm the stereotype early on in my career, particularly when I was in the law firm world, I was terrible at networking and it's not a great strength of mine to this day. This is the way I look at it. I hated the idea of keeping in touch with people because someday they might be of use to me or might give me business. And I, I had a distaste to it, but that's not necessarily the way to look at it, but that's the way I looked at it back then. And I remember having conversations uh, with people saying, I just want to, I just want to practice law. I just want to be the good. I want to be a good lawyer. I want someone else to be the rainmaker. And, um, and that was one of the motivations actually for me to go in-house. That said, I go in-house, you still have to network. You still have to either network internally, externally. You, and I've kind of changed my viewpoint on networking and I've gotten better at it. But again, it's not my best strength. But I think to answer your question, the plan that I have is I don't look at it. I'm keeping in touch with people because someday they might be able to help me. You keep in touch with people because someday you might be able to help them. And then there's reciprocity. If you look at it that way, like, hey, I met this person, I connected with this person, I work with this person and, and he or she introduced me to this other person. 
you keep in touch because someday you might be able to help them. And if you can help someone in the world, why wouldn't you do that? that that's a great way of looking at it. You just shifted the whole viewpoint. The whole, yeah. And that has absolutely helped me. And that has absolutely been proven true over these last 10 to 15 years. I have kept in touch. And by the way, keeping in touch is much easier now that there's LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Um, or social media, you kind of keep in touch um, at a distance because you can't develop lifelong friendships with everybody, right? But it's a nice way of keeping in touch with acquaintances. And then they come to you and if they need, if they need help, you help them. And then someday you might need help and it's not as hard to ask for it. So along the way, did you seek any mentors? You know, I have been very involved in the mentoring discussion in my company. Do we set up a formal mentor program? Do we have informal ones? And I've been the participant in formal mentoring programs which have helped, but my real mentors along the way have been, had them develop informally. I remember I've had about three or four, and I think that really could not have gotten where I'm at this day without their, their guidance. And it's interesting. I think about, again, the law firm life, the 13 years that I was in law firm life. And, um, you know, I have a real passion for women, helping women and kind of mentoring younger women, but my mentors along the way were all, were all male except for, except for one, I had a woman named Jill Jacara, Jill Jacara, if you're listening to this, thank you. She was a partner when I was a young associate and I had a couple of cases with her and I don't think she knew she was mentoring me, but she'd say things. And, and this has always stuck with me and I have used it and passed it on. I remember her saying when I was a very young attorney, we were just kind of chatting about something. And she had said, you know, women, when they go in to have their performance reviews, at the end of the year, uh, you, you get the review and women say, thank you. You know, here's your bonus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you leave. And she said, and she was generalizing. She said, men are never happy with their bonus. Men are never happy with their, the review, the score that they got. And they always push and say, well, how could I've gotten an A? If you gave me a B plus, how could I've gotten an A? If you gave me a $10,000 bonus, why wasn't it a 15? What do I need to work on? And that never left me. And I have always used it to this day. Maybe not that assertively, but you need to advocate for yourself. And you need to ask the hard questions up front about where am I, where am I lacking? You know, you gave me a B on my review. I wanted an A. What were the two or three things that I should be working on next year so that I'm an A? You need to say that. And then you need to listen to the feedback about where you have room for growth. That never left me. Um, but the other mentors along the way were all males and they taught me how to be really, really good lawyers. So I don't think mentorship is necessarily women to women or women to men, but it's just how you connect with people. Yeah, and sometimes you need to have both because you need to have mm -hmm. allies on the other side too. Just us talking with each other and discussing our problems and what we think is a perceived solution may not be the optimal way of doing things. Sometimes you need to get the other point of view as well, right? It's an excellent point, right? So the what that advice that was given to me, only a woman could give, give me that advice. But then the flip side in having a mentor. So for example, my predecessor, so a gentleman named Bill Hom, who 
was my boss for years and years. He retired and then I took his role as general counsel. Classic, you know, white male, <laughs> Harvard law grad. And he was an exceptional mentor and benefactor and advocate of mine because he'd say, you know, this is how you're perceiving. You know, Again, never this directly, but, you know, spending time with him, this is how you perceive this is the other side. And how do you navigate through that? Exceptional mentor. Well, congratulations for having that, because it's sometimes so hard to find the right ally and the sponsor mentor who really has your best interest and is like pushing for your case. So it's great that you had one of the things, you know, that comes to mind from that is um, law is a very male dominated space. How has your experience been and have you ever faced uh, typical perceptions that surround women, given that you're, you're in this space? I don't know. I mean, the legal profession, I think when women and men graduate from law school, it's 50-50 and it has been for several years. I think that, and I know that in the 90s, we were tackling this again at big law firm life, that law firms were looking and saying, why by the time that we get to the making partner, there are less women than men? And the answer is because women self-select out. In terms of you hear big law firm and it's a lot of hours, it's a, it's a grind. Um, and then women, by the time they're in their thirties, you know, they get married and they choose to have kids and then they choose to scale back their career and it falls on them. And so is that the law firm's responsibility? And this was the dialogue again in the late nineties, early two thousands. I'm not sure. Um, but the bottom line is that women self-select out so that when you look at partnership ranks in large law firms, there's less women. Um, I think that law firms today, now it's we're in the 2020s, are trying to embrace new work-life balances so to, to increase those ranks. But I didn't feel male-dominated when I was in law firm life. When I came in-house, I worked for a company that plays in historically male-dominated industries. So we have a lot of ex-military as our executives we um, service the military as a client. So, a lot, and, and again, the military tends to be male dominated. We're in the construction industry, we're in the security industry. So, although our CEO and our leadership council is incredibly committed to diversity, we tend to be male dominated in our staff and, and in our employees. And that sometimes has, I've felt sometimes the, what's the word I'm looking for? The difference, I've felt it sometimes. Unintentionally, but I have felt it. How is it being a general counsel for a company? There are very few women who are general counsel. So this this must feel great. You made it. Well, I, you know, um, don't they always say that women struggle with imposter syndrome too? Yes. <laughs> and any given day I go, yeah, I made it and I got this. And I know what I'm doing. And then some days I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, but I have, at the end of the day, I, I know I'm a good leader. I believe I'm a good leader. And I really believe in different leadership styles. So again, I had mentioned that a lot of the people, even in the law department, come from the military. That's a, a classic style of leadership. Do this because I said so and don't ask questions. That's one style. And it can work sometimes. But I lead a team that have 20, 25 years of experience, experts in areas of law of which I'm not. So that leadership style is not going to work. It's got to be consensus building, right? 
So it's got to be, I'm not here and you're here. We're a team. We're a leadership team. And, you know, if a decision has to be made, maybe I'll make it hearing from everybody, but um, it really is consensus-based. It's my divisional general counsels are, I consider peers in a lot of ways. You know, what do we want to do about this guys? Because they all happen to be guys. Um, what do we want to do about this? Okay, what's the plan? Okay, let's move it forward. And then I'll keep them on, you know, hey, have you done it? Tell me you've done it. So if you had two pieces of advice for your younger self, what would those be? One would be to not worry so much, to not be so anxious. I was always uh, so worried about the future that I didn't enjoy the present time for sure. And believe it or not, even though I you know, was successful academically, I would have challenged myself to, to try when it was hard harder, right? I wound up in this path and this career in a lot of ways by happenstance. And I really enjoy it. But you look back and you go, wow, that was just a fortuitous set of events. Uh, I would have probably given more thought to what you wanted to do, knowing that you could always change your mind. So I, I never gave thought to what I wanted to do because I didn't want to commit to what I wanted to do, right? Uh, it, there's a, there's a, an important distinction there. Looking back and with all of your experience working with women, do you find there are certain things we do that just don't work for us? I think the pandemic has highlighted something that women have always struggled with that I talked about in connection with the struggle that large law firms in this country were dealing with in the 90s and in early 2000s. And that is why are women self-selecting out of the workforce? And I think it's because we've had this traditional notion of what a workday is. And it's, you know, it's nine to five in, a, in an attorney's case, it's nine to 7 p.m. or nine to 8 p.m. with with a Saturday in there, at least a, a solid Saturday morning or Sunday morning. And so um, although the hours may not change, the ability to, let's say, come in at 10 o'clock after you drop your kids off from school or to work from home so that when your kids are coming in the door, at, you know, from school at three o'clock, maybe you sign off from three to four, get them a snack, get them settled and log back in. So that the pandemic has really highlighted that this traditional notion of a work day or a workplace is changing. And I think that's to our advantage. And I think that women really could have led that revolution through the pandemic. And I think it's for the, for the positive. That is so true though. Thanks have shifted and I think there is a lot more focus on mindfulness, work-life balance and how to really adjust to your point, you know, um, how to adjust your schedule so you get everything done in that day, but it doesn't have to be specific hours. So we were talking about workplace and then workday. I wonder if there was talk about kind of splitting up jobs or, you know, flex time jobs. I, I don't know if that's still on the table or if that's an option, because when I think about the law and I think about the career trajectory, you kind of do have to do your time in a law firm, um, which with larger hours. But if you want to be kind of, if you're the primary caretaker, that is, there's a conflict there. So even though I think people are more open to women and men to work from home, if you still have to put in a 12 hour day, that may still cause women to self-select out because again, they're the primary caretaker of children. I mean, that's just a fact. Um, not in every family. I wonder 
if that's what will be tackled next. If we look ahead 10 years, will there be things like, you know, splitting a job or more, or more part-time positions? I'm not sure. That was tried in the early 2000s and I don't think it worked that well. Yeah, and I think the biggest challenge in that model was a lot of jobs. There's something to be said about continuity. So when you have something critical stage, you can't have somebody logging off because they're done with the 20 hours of their week. You still need to get it done. And a lot of times it also helps having uh, people work the 40 hours because you're sharing that same resource across multiple things. So there's efficiency and economies of scale there, which you lose when it's like very cut and dry small jobs. Thousand percent agree with you, right. I don't know what the solution is, but it does seem to me that we have a lot of intellectual capability in this country that we're not utilizing in professionals that can't work that 50 or 60 hour a week job. On a personal note, what's the fun part or a part of your life that not a lot of people know about? I was like voted class clown. <laughs> I think I'm the funniest person in the room all the time. So <laughs> now I do like, I do like to have fun. I mean, even, even work can be so stressful and I have had the most hilarious moments in usually in the workplace. You know, you just have to have fun. I do love a laugh. <laughs> that's that's yeah. Great. I don't think people know that a lot about me that I was voted <laughs> class class count of uh, my my middle school. <laughs> well, Lisa, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time and all the great advice. Um, any closing comments for our listeners? I would tell anyone if you're in high school or your young twenties, I would tell you to find a mentor, connect with someone, and talk through talk through it. There is some. There is something to be said for talking to uh, wise old women uh, like me. Um, we've been through it and we can, we can help you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was so fun talking with you.